Good morning. In their defense, the contestants, that question's probably never going to get asked on a game show. And that's not something we normally think about or talk about, the presence of God. Uh, that, that phrase actually comes from a book out of the 17th century called The Practice of the Presence of God. It was written, well, actually, it wasn't written by Brother Lawrence, but it, um, it was taken from, it's a scri- it's given, he gets credit for it, Brother Lawrence, The Practice. If you want to look at this book, get it on Kindle. I have it on my Kindle. Uh, the Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, but it was actually written, he couldn't write, not sure he could read, but it was written down by an official from the church uh, who got into a series of conversations with him because his story is, his name was Nicholas Herman, and he was a footman and a soldier, kind of a lowly person, but he was admitted into uh, a monastery. And his, they changed his name to Brother Lawrence. He became Brother Lawrence in, a, in about his 50s somewhere. But he had grown very dissatisfied with the world, what was going on in his life. And he wanted to, to start really focusing on God, on pursuing him, having a friendship with him, figuring out what it means to relate to him. And I think that his idea of what that would be is to get into a monastery and focus full time on things like prayer and religious stuff, get into maybe the Bible. And so this is what he did. He was shocked when he entered the the monastery and they gave him the kitchen. He became the guy who cooked, chief cook and bottle washer in the monastery. So his idea is, I'm going to learn how to really follow God here. I'm going to learn more about him. And they gave me kitchen duty. And so he was sort of shocked by that. But over time, he realized that there is a lot to be learned in the kitchen. And in his own words, this is what he said. It became very satisfying for him to work there. And in his own words, this is what he said. Slaving over a hot stove taught me how to practice the presence of God. And I read this book in college, and I was very grateful to realize that I could talk to God all through the day. It just it changed my paradigm. And it actually, what it did in the 17th century is their idea was you go to church to talk to God, and you talk to God through the leaders of the church, and that's where you've got to do it. But what he did is he, this was a real breakthrough, because he, he began to, to shift the focus on the entire day, every day of the week, all through the day. You can have a conversation with God. And so the grand vicar of his area came and got in these conversations, and he wrote down the, the results of the conversations in the book. And here's what Brother Lawrence says. This is what he took from the conversation, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little awkward, but this is what the grand vicar wrote, that the most excellent method he had found of going to God was that of doing our common business without any view of pleasing men and, as far as we are capable, purely for the love of God. That by this short and sure method, he exercised himself in the knowledge and love of God, resolving to use his utmost endeavor to live in a continual sense of his presence, and if possible, possible never to forget him more. And as the 
As he proceeded in his work, he continued his familiar conversation with his maker, imploring his grace and offering him all his actions. That was a tremendous breakthrough in his part of the world. That you can carry your your walk with God, your relationship with God, all through the day you can carry on this conversation with him. That was a relief to me because in college, when I closed my eyes and bowed my, my head to pray, that was a battle. You know what? I'm 54 now. been out of college for over 30 years. Still a battle. Still battling. You need both. You need the time set aside with God. But boy, what a relief to realize I could talk with God all through my day. I could just turn to him and ask him things. Every moment we can come before God. We can ask him for his wisdom in whatever we're dealing with right in front of us. We can, we can do exactly what he says and then thank him for the guidance and care that he's given us. This is the flow. When it's, when it's all said and done, this is how we walk with God throughout the day. We talk to him. We listen to him. We think about his word and how it applies to what we're dealing with. We do it, and then we thank him. This takes practice. Like, like anything else. It, it takes practice. This doesn't come naturally to us. That's why the book was called The Practice of the Presence of God. We, we have to work on this. What comes naturally is relying on ourselves, relying on our own strength and not God. But the truth is, we become what we practice. What are you practicing lately? What have you been practicing? If, if you're into golf, and you practice golf four hours a day, you're going to become a good golfer. If, if you really like to cook and you practice the art of cooking every day, you're going to become an accomplished chef. If It's the same with business or sales or communication. If you really want to learn to be a good communicator, you, you can do that. If you want to learn how to have great conversations with your family and work through all the negative stuff to get there, you can do that. If you practice eating healthier food and exercising, you you become what you practice. I've been working on that myself. I downloaded an app on my smartphone called MyFitnessPal.com, and I've been sort of driving my wife crazy with my obsession with this thing. It, But I, I over the last year... I've benefited from that practice. I've changed, changed in the way I approach meals and things like that. But it has a new feature on it, MyFitnessPal.com, and I'm not here to advertise it. But it has this thing where uh, now, like Facebook, it has friends' comments that you can link up with friends. And actually, I read that it said, it says on there, uh, lose weight three times faster with, by including your friends in this. And uh, fr- frankly, I've, I've not sure any of my friends want to link up with me on this thing. But, but anyway, it gives you encouragement. You enter your data, and it gives you encouragement based on what's going on. And one of my encouragements this week was, R.S. Lanthrop has logged in 120 days in a row. And I read that, and I thought, I'm obsessed with this thing. I'm obsessed. I interrupt our lunches with, how much do you think that chicken weighs, hon? You know, got to get this in there. So our conversation, but you know what? It's made a difference because this is what I've been practicing. And that's how it is. If, 
it, whatever you practice begins to shape who you become. And what we learn from Nicholas Herman is that practicing the presence of God is a very important thing. People say when you got around him, you just had this sense that from his countenance, just this, this sense of God's presence with him. And boy, what a difference that makes. If we're going to reach our full God-given potential in life, you and I must learn to practice the presence of God. Jesus described it this way in John 15. This is what he said. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Another translation that I first read this in says, abide. Abide in me. We're going to look at what that word means. But the idea with abide is you remain in him. You stay connected to him. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, this is, this is for your good. This is how you find joy in life, by staying connected to him, abiding in him. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much... Oh, whoops, sorry, I skipped back. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. In this passage, in these 13 verses, we're reminded eight different times to remain, to abide, to remain in him. No branch can bear fruit by itself, so we need to remain in him. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, and so on and so on. Jesus is repeating himself like this for a reason. He wants us to get this. This this is important. This is at the core of what it means to follow him. Don't forget it. Abide, remain in me. You are my friends if you do what I command, he goes on. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Jesus wants us to stay connected to him. Because that is the way we bear the fruit, the the results in our life show up that God wants. In our family life, in our work situations, among our friends, as we stay connected, as we learn to live in him, 
we find the fruit. He begins to grow the fruit in our own character that he wants to grow, and it makes a tremendous difference. The word abide has an interesting definition. It means to stay in a place. Remain, that word remain in this passage. To stay in a place and figuratively to remain in a sphere. What's interesting about that definition is in the, two, in the New Testament, there are two distinct spheres that you can live in, you and I. The realm of the spirit, the sphere of the spirit, and the sphere of the flesh. You can be in the flesh or in the spirit. No tweener. There's no between. You're either in the flesh or you're in the spirit. The realm of the spirit, if you're in that realm, then you're, you're using the resources God has provided to live a life that pleases him and brings out your full potential. If you're in the flesh, if you're living in the realm of the flesh, then you're using native strategies and self-effort to live to please yourself. Two distinct spheres. Jesus says, abide, remain in me. Remain in the sphere of the Spirit. Be immersed in the Spirit's resources. And I mentioned my friend who learned the Spanish language by immersing himself in a culture where Spanish language was spoken. Six weeks, came back speaking Spanish, well enough to work in the travel agency that he was working in. I took French for two years, every day, five days a week, for nine months of the year. I do not parlez vous Francais. I can say my name. My name is Randy. I can tell you that. I could say I love you. For some reason, that stuck. But I can't speak French because I went to class. I left class, didn't think about it. But he was immersed for six weeks in that culture where he had to learn how to say, could I have some food, please? Could you pass the, the ham or whatever? And, and that, that caused him to, to learn that. We, we need to learn to practice the presence of God because this is key to, to drawing on his resources, the resources of the Lord Jesus, and living the life that pleases him. We stay connected to him by immersing ourselves in his resources, prayer, both time set aside with him and prayer through the day, the scripture. Isaiah 54 says, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. What a worthy goal. To to ask God as you wake up to speak to you, to hear him, to get into his scripture and allow him to speak. This is the foundation of hearing God, prayer and the scripture. I'd like to listen to Bill Hybels' little short video clip who talks about his time with God every day and how important it is. When I first started getting serious about really defining a time of my day when I would meet with God, like in a formal way, I knew that early mornings would probably serve me best But this goes back many, many years, and my kids were young. And we lived in a small house and had pretty crowded conditions. And uh, the first few times I would get up in the morning and try to meet with God, kids running around the place, it was like a fire drill, I realized this was not going to work. I had to find a better place where I could sit down 
and surrender myself and be quiet before God. Uh, near where we lived was a takeout restaurant, and there were small little tables off to one side, and I decided, well, maybe I could meet with God in one of the booths in that little restaurant just as well as I could anywhere else, so I decided I'd give that a try. And I would open my Bible, and I would get my journal out, and I would read from the text of Scripture, and I would journal some thoughts about what God had taught me from His Word, and then I would quiet myself and allow God to whisper to me if He wanted to, or I would confess my sins a little bit, or think about uh, the activity of God in my life. But the whole thing probably only took me between 20 and 30 minutes, but I did it almost every single day. And that booth in that little restaurant became a holy place. I mean, it wasn't holy to anybody else, but it sure became important in my relationship with God. I sat in that booth for over nine years, and some of the most important decisions of that period of my life happened with an open Bible and an open journal and an open ear toward heaven. And even today, uh, when I drive by that little restaurant, uh, I always get a little nostalgic. Uh, I drive by that place and I think no one would ever really understand uh, the kind of meetings that happened there. But uh, God and I remember, and that little restaurant will always hold a special place in my heart. I don't know if you have a place or a time to just pull away and focus on God, to talk to Him and let Him speak to you through His Word and then just quiet yourself. That is crucial. That, that's really, that's the reason I'm still married to my wife after 32 years, is that time with God. As He corrects my thinking, as He straightens out my emotions, as I get into the scripture and it comes alive, Randy, you got to stop being so selfish. You need to look out for her interests. That that I think my wife would tell you the same thing. It's the reason we're still married because I spend time with God. <laughs> but it it I'm serious. That time is the foundation out of which your day can launch. It it as you begin to soak in the Word, as you begin to pray and talk to God. There's so much direction and help for marriage, for parenting, for decision-making, doing ministry. What he's going to do, what God's going to do is he's going to keep peeling you inside out to consider other people around you, to love them. Okay, that's what Jesus was saying, remain in my love. This is, this is what he's going to do. So this is the source. He is. Jesus is. And learning to practice the presence of God through the day is crucial as we get into prayer, as we get into Scripture, encouraging fellowship, ministry to others. God uses these four resources to help us abide in him and we immerse ourselves. This is how we stay in the realm of the Spirit and how we follow his leadership as we walk through the day. We're told in Romans 8, we looked at this a few weeks ago, but... Uh, just in passing, we're told that we're to keep our minds set on God and his resources. And, and those are the things God uses to do that. And then we need to practice God's presence. And we, we do that by learning to direct our thoughts, to communicate with God throughout the day, and by conforming to his word 
as we hear it and know it. We need to direct our thoughts to whatever is, and Philippians 4 fills us in on what we need to direct our thoughts toward. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. One of the most important discoveries I've made as I've walked with God through the years is this. I don't have to accept the thoughts that come into my mind. I can reject the wrong ones. With with God's help, I can get rid of those. And I can focus on the right things. That's why Paul says this here. God has him write it down. For our instruction, we can refuse the wrong thoughts. And this has been key as I've learned to do this. And when I do this, when I refuse the wrong ones and I don't accept them, I experience freedom and life the way God intends. The thoughts that get planted in my heart and mind grow like fruit and show up in my words and deeds. So I must filter the thoughts. I've got to keep the seeds of wrong thinking from planting in my heart. And I've got to pull the weeds of the wrong thoughts that are taking root or have taken root. And as I do that, I get freedom. It's important to focus my thoughts, first of all, on what is true. To focus on what is true I've got to redirect my thoughts from the lies that damage and destroy. This, this is the way it works. Here, here are some, some thoughts that maybe you have. If, if, if you have decided to follow Christ, this is even more a battle than if you haven't. But when, whenever you turn from going your own way and decide to go Christ's way, it's, it's, it's you're swimming against the current of your flesh, that realm of the flesh. There's this gravity that keeps pulling us into the realm of flesh, and we need God's help to stay in the realm of the spirit. But we have to battle. One of the places we battle is in our mind, and we battle thoughts like this. Nobody wants you. Nobody loves you. You can't do anything right. You have blown it this time for sure. There is no turning back from this. Why even try? You'll never change. You'll never be free from that sin. These are thoughts we battle. We've got to replace these with the truth. And if if you've decided to follow Christ, these things are true about you. You get into Scripture and you soak up the truth. If you set that time aside every day to get into the Bible and let God speak to you through it, you can soak up this kind of truth. Here's what you'll find. You are chosen. You are an adopted daughter or son. You're a child of God. You you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are redeemed and forgiven. You are free forever from condemnation. You, You don't have to listen to those thoughts of condemnation guilt. You don't have to wallow there. You can get freedom. You're going to have to fight for it. The way it works is you're going to have to fight 
From the day you decide to follow Christ to the day you die, it's a battle in your mind and in your emotions. And you have to battle. But you can find freedom in him. He's won the victory for us. We can be free from condemnation. You are the salt and light of the earth. If you'd like a copy of these with the references, I think this would be a great thing to take and, and every morning this week or some week, take the time to read through these, look at the passages, soak them in. But this is the kind of thing, as you spend time in the Word of God, you begin to gain the right perspective, the right thinking about yourself, and you can replace the lies with the truth. So if you would like a copy of this with the references, just put that on the communication card, just write, copy of the truth about you. (laughs) And I'll send it to you on email. But you are God's temple. God lives in you. You are God's temple. You are God's workmanship. You are an overcomer. You don't have to be overwhelmed by what's going on. You are safe in God's firm grip. You are able to withstand any temptation that comes your way. You don't have to cave in. You don't have to give in to it. You are invited into perpetual rest. And you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That, that's an encouragement to me. I had this habit I noticed several years ago of sort of putting myself down, kind of a false humility thing. Ephesians 2 really helped me because I realized God, who is rich in mercy has made me alive in Jesus Christ, and he seated me with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Whenever I put myself down, that's not reality. Because God, through Jesus Christ, has given me a position. A a privilege, yes, but it's a position. And whenever I put myself down, I'm not really honoring what he has done. And he's given me that position, not so I can feel good about myself. Or la- He's given me that position so that he can express his kindness to me and display his kindness that's expressed in the grace of Jesus Christ to the world around me. That's the truth. I've got this flesh in me that pulls me down, but that's the truth about me according to the Scripture. Those are examples of what you get when you immerse yourself in the Word of God and allow it to soak in. Every scheme of the enemy begins with a lie. Every scheme of Satan begins with a lie. And so we've got to learn the truth and replace the lies with God's truth. We direct our thoughts to the truth, and we direct our thoughts to what is noble. The word noble is, means what is dignified and worthy of respect. We've got to reject thoughts that are ignoble. These things take us out of the realm of the spirit and put us in the realm of the flesh. So we reject those. We need to direct our thoughts to what is right, what is discerning and judicious and wise. If you're worried and perplexed about a decision that you're facing right now, you can ask God for wisdom. And he promises to give it. He he will give you what you need. He'll give it to you. Now, make sure that you filter the wisdom that you're hearing through the filters that we've talked about. Make sure it's God that you're hearing. But he has promised, excuse me, 
He has promised to give you and I the wisdom that we need. James 1, 5 through 7, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man should not not think he will receive anything from the world, from from the Lord, sorry. A double-minded man doesn't receive anything. So when we come to God and ask him for wisdom, we have a single mind. God, I need your help. I'm going to do what you say. I need to know what you want here. We need to direct our thoughts to what is pure. The word means unmixed, free from artificial colors, flavors, or additives of any kind. If your thoughts and motives are pure and unmixed with your own selfish motives and plans, your words and actions are going to follow that. We need God's help to be pure. I don't, I don't, my, my, my thoughts and motives are mixed bag. And that's how they're all going to be. Sounds like kids are having fun, doesn't it? You guys would like to dance and scream for a second. We could do that, but probably, probably not. Um, we're a mixed bag. That's what Scripture says. We're all we're a mixed. We're we're not pure. We need God's help. Jesus made us pure. And when you recognize impurity in yourself, confess it and move on. It's interesting. That's what Nicholas Herman said he learned to do. In the kitchen, when his, when his mind went off of God in the direction it shouldn't go, he, he said, I learned to confess, apply God's grace to that, and thank him for forgiveness and move on. Don't, don't, you don't have to wallow in it. You don't have to beat yourself up because Jesus has already taken the beating for that. You, you can confess and move on. When you recognize impurity, thank him for what he's done. Confess it. Thank him for the forgiveness he's given and what he's done. We need to direct our thoughts to what is lovely. What, what is lovely is what promotes peace instead of conflict. Don't dwell on wrongs done. Don't allow resentment to grow and turn into bitterness that poisons. A root of bitterness will poison your relationships. So we need to allow Jesus to help us as those things emerge to deal with the resentment. Think about ways to build bridges to other people. Ways to repair and not escalate the damage that's going on. Live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. We need to direct our thoughts to what is admirable. Things of good repute, that's what it means, admirable. Positive, constructive, and helpful. You know what it's like to go to lunch with someone and you're really looking forward to this, you haven't been around them for a while, and you go to lunch and you're in the conversation and about halfway through the conversation it turns and it gets very, very negative and maybe gossip or slander, anger starting to come out. And maybe there's some put-downs as they talk about everybody around you. You know what? That stinks. I was in a country once where the sewer ran along the gutter you didn't go outside for fresh air. There was not, it was not that fresh most of the time. 
And that's exactly how it smells in that conversation. It stinks. Don't be that person. Don't be the one who's filling the air with the stuff that stinks. Stop it. If you catch yourself thinking these kinds of thoughts, stop and redirect your thoughts in the right direction. Ask God for help in this. Replace them with the truth of God's word. Confess it. Admit it. Thank God for forgiveness and move on. We practice God's presence this way by redirecting our thoughts to the truth. We also practice it by learning to communicate with him throughout the day. This is what Brother Lawrence was doing. It was groundbreaking in the 17th century. It's still groundbreaking today. It was groundbreaking for me in college. It was revolutionary. Because I thought of prayer as something you did. It was a religious activity. You went, you went somewhere and you did this. Or you set the time aside or you close your eyes, bow your head, and you pray. Prayer was not something that you did in the kitchen in the 17th century. But what Brother Lawrence was doing, what Nicholas Herman was doing, is found all through the New Testament. Look at Ephesians 6, 6, 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. The Spirit's going to guide us to pray, to bring things to mind that we need to turn over to God in prayer. I even ask for his help. That's one of the roles of the Spirit in our life. We can ask for his help to pray. Many times I'll, I'll start to pray. God, would you, I don't even know what to pray. Would you guide me in this prayer time? Would you bring the things to mind that I need? And then I can do that. And then he wants me to, to, to turn those things. I ask for help. This is what he does. How, how often do you invite God into the situations you're facing every day? How often are you inviting him in? Don't miss out on this privilege that you and I have and the peace that comes from learning to trust God in this way. If we back up a couple verses from the passage I just walked through on directing our thoughts, this is what it says. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are, are you stressed about anything right now? Are you worried or perplexed? What, what is in your mind? Let your worry being a, be a launching pad, a springboard into the presence of God. That's the idea here in this verse. Instead of trying to think it away, you ever, you ever do that? Try to think your problem away? I'm going to think it away. I'm going to just turn it over and over and over in my mind and I'm going to do that because if I, if I stop thinking about it, the problem might not get solved. And so I'm just going to keep turning it over and over and over in my mind. I'm stewing in it. Instead of doing that, turn it over to God and thank him for who he is. Thank him for listening to you. Thank him for what he's already done to help you in these kinds of situations in the past. Turn it over. Thank, Thanksgiving is an important habit to learn. Crucial. Colossians 2 says we're to abound in it. It should bubble up out of our lives, out of our hearts, and into our lives, and into our words. It, it, it's a major part of being rooted in Christ. This is how you really get rooted in him. You thank him. We have to learn that. 
We have to learn to be thankful. Jesus told a story about ten lepers who were healed. Only one came back to say thank you. A 10% return rate. That's what it was. We, we need to learn to whisper to God thanks throughout the day. To, to, to cultivate a heart of thanksgiving. And I need his help for this. But one thing I've noticed as I walk with the Lord is I'm immersed in his resources. These, the thank yous start bubbling up. God, thank you. Thank you for my work. Boy, this is, this is a challenge. But thank you for the work you've given me. Thank you for a place to live. I'm grateful for this place. Thanks for your help in that conversation. Thanks for my family. I'm grateful for them. Thank you, God, for this food. Thanks, thanks for the wisdom that you've just given me. Thanks for help with that, for the strength I needed to do that project. Don't, don't forget to go back. Don't forget as you're doing life to thank him in the midst of it. God is honored by this, and he responds by giving peace. This is where the peace comes from. Actually, it's scientifically been proven to be impossible to be anxious and thankful at the same time. It's an impossibility. So cultivating a heart of thanksgiving is really, Scripture knew, you know, it's like God wrote it. And he did. Because this is where health is. As we learn, instead of a sense of entitlement, as we learn to be grateful for what God's given and what he's done. We practice God's presence by directing our thoughts, by communicating with him through the day, and conforming our lives to his word. That's what Jesus was talking about in John 15. Do my command. You remain in me by doing my commands, by obeying them. Romans 12 says that our worship, I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but our worship is to surrender to him and allow our minds to be renewed. Our minds are renewed as we soak in the scripture and, and gather God's thoughts. What I, my opinion is less and less important to me. God's opinion is what really matters as I live my life. Get into the Bible. Let it soak into your mind, into the decision-making center of your life, that will guide you as you say and do the things that you say and do. This is how we abide. We do what Jesus says to do in his word. We connect with him in prayer. We do what he says to do in his word. When, when your friend is someone in authority over you, it, it only goes well in the friendship when you're doing what they say. And that's how it is with Jesus. It goes well when we're doing what he tells us to do. Life is good. We're, we're reaching toward our full potential. Our minds are renewed as we soak in his word and then prove how right it is by living his way. We abide in Jesus or we practice his presence by directing our thoughts to what pleases him, refusing the thoughts that are pulling us into the realm of the flesh by communicating with him throughout the day, thanking him for what what he's given, for what he's doing, for life itself. Conforming our lives to his word. We disconnect when we don't do what he says. We disconnect from him. We're in the realm of the flesh. By learning to practice the presence of God, we can bear the fruit in our lives that God wants us to bear. We begin to reach toward our full potential in him. Our thoughts don't eat us alive. 
They don't destroy and damage us, but they grow into words and actions that please him, that produce the results that God wants. Stress and worry are turned into thanksgiving and peace as, as we learn to communicate and be thankful throughout the day. We stay connected by conforming our, our lives to God's word. And we see how right his word is. I'm going to wrap up the message by encouraging you to think through some next steps today. And maybe as I've walked through these passages of Scripture and as I've been talking this morning, God's spoken to you about something. And I'd like you to focus on that. Think through. Here's some suggestions that I have for next steps. Um, They're on the back of the connection card. You may want to pull that out of your program. I'd like for you to, if you would, pull that out of your program and let us know if you want to take one of these steps. But one of them could be to memorize John 15:5. Great summary of what Jesus was telling us in John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Another step would be to pick one day this week and, and practice God's presence all day. Work on that. Plan to thank him. Plan to practice his presence. If this isn't a habit that, that you have of practicing his presence. If you make it to lunch, from the time you get up till lunchtime is going to be good for you. I tell you, I, I guarantee you. And you'll want to keep doing it, I hope. That's what I hope. But pick a day. If you only make it to lunch, don't beat yourself up. Just try it again the next day. And, and practice his presence all day long. Maybe you're at the point where you've been investigating what it means to follow God, to follow Christ, and you're ready to make that decision for the first time. I accept Jesus as my Savior and follow him as Lord. That could be a next step that you take this morning. Or to attend Discovering CIV 101 on the 30th. That's If you've been to pre, CIV Preview, we'd love to have you take the next step to go to 101. In a moment, we're going to receive our offering. If you could take the time to fill out any information or the next steps that you haven't had a chance to fill out and drop that in the offering when it comes by, that'd be great. If you're a first-time guest with us today, we are really glad you're here. We have a book for you that you can pick up. It's through those double doors to the left on the higher table. It's called A Case for Christ, and it has answers about Christ and Christianity that are very, very helpful for you. So you can pick it up on the way out, and we hope you enjoy it. Would you pray with me as the band comes up? Father, we thank you for the truth we find in your word. There is real freedom in it. Excuse me. And there is help for those who turn to you and learn to rely on you. And God, that's, that's what I ask. Help us to learn to rely on you and walk through the day in your strength and power that you so graciously give. We ask for your help in this. In the name of Jesus, amen.